All right. So if you've spent uh, any significant amount of time at Chig, uh, most of you know that one of my favorite hobbies uh, is watching football. Right? I love the NFL, uh, and I'm a diehard Indianapolis Colts fan. And already, standing up here, I'm already getting hate for being an Indianapolis Colts fan. But uh, that's because if, if any of you know what happened to us last week in Jacksonville, um, it, was, uh, it was a heartbreaker. It was, it was a tough one. It's been a long week, going to be an even longer offseason. Uh, but I am still, uh, I'm, a, I'm a diehard Indianapolis Colts fan. I will be till the day I die. I have been for all my life. And when I was about 10 years old, the thing that I wanted most in the, the whole world was for the Colts to win the Super Bowl. All right, so I don't know why I thought that I could do this, but I tried to make a deal with God where I said, if I pray to you during every Colts game of the season, then they're going to win the Super Bowl. All right, I don't know why I thought I could do that, but, but I did. So week one came. And I, I kept my deal. I prayed during the game, and the Colts won. Week two came. I prayed, and the Colts won. Guys, week three, week four, all the way up until week 15, I prayed every week, and the Colts started that season 15-0. and And then week 16 came, and I didn't pray. That was the first game that I didn't pray, and that's the first game that the Colts lost that season. So I'm like, I'm freaking out. I'm like, God, like, really loves me or something. Like, or he's a big Colts fan. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I I'm, I'm really doing something, right? I'm changing the season. The Colts are going to win the Super Bowl this year. It's a guarantee. So I keep the deal going uh, through the playoffs, and the Colts go all the way to the Super Bowl that year. They play against the New Orleans Saints. I keep my deal. I pray during the Super Bowl, and the Colts lost. Colts came up short. They lost to the Saints 31-17. to And I'm devastated, right? I'm devastated, one, because the Colts lost. It's the thing I wanted most in the world. But uh, also, I'm, I'm embarrassed, right? I really thought I was doing something. And then to get all the way to the end and find out it really didn't have a deal with God that, that was working, uh, it, was, it was tough. So I bring that story up for, for two reasons. Number one, I think it's really funny that, that as a kid, I thought that I was influencing the NFL season. But, but two, more importantly, I bring this up because tonight we're going to be talking about prayer. And specifically, we're going to be talking about how there are right and wrong ways to approach the topic of prayer. And, and even though I was a kid and there's some grace to this, uh, my, my, my deal with God, uh, that is clearly an example of, of the wrong approach to prayer. Now, last week, Siler talked a little bit about uh, the reason why we pray. And, and he said, we don't pray to tell God things that he doesn't know, right? Because God already knows them, right? So, so the reason why we pray is very simply to be with God, Right? He wants to hear what's going, what's going on in our lives, not because he doesn't know already, but because he wants us to know him and be in relationship with him. And one of the best ways to do that is through prayer. So prayer isn't necessarily about getting what we, what we want. Right? It's about getting closer to God and learning more about who he is and, and learning how to trust him as we go through life. And there's a, a phrase that we use a lot in church called our, our prayer life. And prayer life is, it's talking about our relationship with God and what that looks like through prayer. And so before we dive into the lesson, I, I want to start by asking you guys about your prayer life. All right, and this isn't to, uh, to make you feel good about yourself if you have like a really good and healthy prayer life. It's not to make you feel bad or guilty if, if maybe you don't. This is just a chance for you to be honest with yourselves as we think about this topic of prayer. So when do you usually pray? Right, I want you to think about that for a second. Is prayer a part of your daily routine? Or, or, or is it just kind of an afterthought for you? 
Maybe you only pray when you have an immediate need or, or you're in some kind of trouble, right? So you forgot to study for the test and, and you're sitting there about to take it and you start praying, God, like somehow transfer all the information from the textbook to my, to my head, right? We've all been there before. It's not the most effective strat, but it's worth a shot. Or maybe you just pray when you want to play well, right? You want to play well in the game or the match, right? You pray for performance. And honestly, there's some of you in here, you probably, you probably never pray, either because you don't know how to, or, or maybe you just don't see the point in prayer. But if you do pray, what does it look like, right? What do, what do you say to God when you pray? These are all important questions that we need to ask when we think about this topic. I think in general, our culture has done a really good job of mastering what I call the, the fast food prayer. All right, so when we go to get fast food, you want your food hot, ready, and cheap, right? You're not sitting down and waiting for a nice steak dinner. You're not preparing it yourself. You know what you want, and you want it as fast as possible. So when Mac pulls up to Taco Bell, he pulls in the drive-thru, right? And they ask him, can I take your order? He says, I want two cheese quesadillas and a Baja Blast, right? Every time he says that without fail. And then he pulls into the drive-thru and gets his food almost immediately, is that right? That's your order, right? That's what you get every time. Then you come to Shig, you come to Shig, and you wave it around for all of us to see. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think sometimes we look at praying to God the same way, though, right? Some of you might remember uh, a former Shig leader, Connor Flo, right? And Connor loves to cook. And one of the reasons is because he loves the process, right? It's a, it's a lot of work to cook good meals, but, but he enjoys taking the time to get the right ingredients and, and measure everything out and put the right seasonings in, right? He enjoys the process of preparing the best meal, even if that means it's a more intense and a longer process. And that's how we need to look at prayer, right? It's a process like making a nice meal. But, but too often we look at prayer like it's a fast food meal where we have our prayer order memorized. Right? And we, we want our food as fast as possible. So we, we pull up to, to God's drive-thru, right? We treat God like he's our spiritual waiter and we, we tell him what we want and then we wait for him to give us what, what we ordered. And that's what we have to be careful about doing because that's not why we pray, right? right? We pray to be in relationship with God. And Jesus actually tells us in, in our passage tonight that there is a right and a wrong way to pray. In the first three verses, Jesus gives us examples of the wrong ways to pray. Right, the first example he says is he said, don't pray like the hypocrites. And Siler touched on this a little bit last week. Uh, a hypocrite is someone who does one thing but says another. Right, so in Jesus' time, uh, people would pray publicly, not because they were trying to get closer to God, but because they wanted other people to see them praying and think, man, that guy, he's so, he's so holy. Right? He's so righteous. He's got a great relationship with God. We've got to treat that guy better. We've got to be more like him. Right? But Jesus is saying that's the wrong approach because they weren't praying to be with God. They were praying to be praised by other people. And then he says that there were others who only prayed for selfish gain. Right? So people had these like, memorized prayers that they would just repeat over and over to God to try and change their situation. And, and that approach was wrong because those people didn't care about being in a relationship with God either. They just wanted him to, to magically change their situation somehow. And this is why Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, pray like this. And I want you guys to notice something. It, Jesus doesn't say this is what you should pray. He says this is how you should pray. So I don't want you guys to leave here thinking that repeating exactly what Jesus said is the only way for us to pray. 
All right, the Lord's Prayer is, is meant to be an example for us. So think of it like, like a guide, right? It gives us a structure to follow. And, and that's what I want to spend the rest of our time looking at, is we're going to look at this structure and break down verse by verse what this looks like to pray how Jesus teaches us. So uh, we're going to read the Lord's Prayer uh, now together, and then we'll break it down. But as I read this for us, I want you guys to uh, be observant and look at the the words. Follow along and see if you can um, make out where there's a break here. Because the Lord's Prayer is divided into two different sections. So as I'm reading this, uh, just try to see if you can see where the two sections are. So it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, now that's a spoiler alert because it kind of broke uh, <laughs> where the two sections were. But uh, I hope you understand why it broke there, right? If you look, the first part of the prayer is primarily concerned with God, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, right? So we're supposed to start by looking at God first, by being concerned with him first. Only then do we move to focusing on ourselves. And so we're going to start by looking at this first section and what it means to start our prayers with God first. So Jesus begins the prayer by saying, our Father in heaven. Now, calling God our Father is something that most of us are pretty used to today, right? It's pretty normal. We hear that often. Uh, but in Jesus' time, this was really unusual. All right? In Jesus' time, uh, people viewed God as being distant from them and, and sometimes even angry with them. And so by referring to God as our Father, it's meant to remind us that there is an intimate relationship between God and us, right? There's a, a special kind of love that God has for each of us that is similar to how a parent feels towards their child. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen the, the interview with Ryan Reynolds uh, talking about his wife, Blake Lively, but it's one of my favorite interviews uh, of all time. It's really funny. And in the interview, uh, Ryan is talking about how much he loves his wife. Right? He loves his wife so much, he'd take a bullet for her. Right? And, and he never thought that he could love anyone or anything as much as he loved his wife until the day that his daughter was born. And, and in the interview, he says that the first time he saw his daughter, he knew that he would use his wife as a human shield to protect that baby. And that's the kind of love that we're meant to think of here. God loves us like a father loves his children. So when we pray to God and refer to him as our father, it's a way of acknowledging that that special, intimate, loving relationship that we have with God. And then in the next line, Jesus says, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means that something is sacred or holy. So Abraham Lincoln refers to Gettysburg as hallowed ground because a huge battle was fought there. Similarly, when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, he's declaring that God's name, God's character, and God's ways, that they are all hallowed. Right? They are holy. God is set apart. Now in our culture, uh, we have a lot of hallowed things. Right? I think for a lot of us, we, we look at sports as hallowed, right? Sundays are sacred. Uh, they're, they're set apart. Some of us, we look at celebrities as hallowed, right? They're, they're set apart. They're larger than life. We, we look at events. We look at, you know, uh, monuments, battlegrounds. Those are all hallowed things. Now, this summer uh, on the DC mission trip, we stopped, my group stopped at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers. Uh, and uh, this is a memorial for soldiers who sacrificed their lives for the country. 
Uh, it's really cool when, when you walk up uh, to the tomb. Uh, if you've never seen it, there's a soldier who is constantly guarding the tomb, and he's walking back and forth. Like 24-7, no matter what day it is, no matter what the weather is, they always have someone marching and protecting uh, this, this tomb, this memorial. Um, it's really choreographed, really, really great. But when you, when you walk up to it, uh, we have to be really quiet and respectful uh, because it's considered to be hollowed ground. Right? When we approach things that are hollowed, we, we don't approach them casually. So it would be really weird for me to walk up to one of the soldiers guarding and be like, hey, what up, bro? Like, how we doing, Schlein? Like, like, that's not how you talk to people that you revere. So part of acknowledging that God's name is hollowed has to do with how we approach him in prayer. And, and there's a tension here that we have to wrestle with, guys, because while God is holy and set apart, he's also still our loving father. And, and we're all guilty of this. Sometimes we treat God like we're, we're catching up with an old friend and we say like, hey, God, how you doing today? How, how have you been, right? And it's not a bad thing for us to be comfortable with God, but sometimes I think we get too comfortable and too casual to where we forget the fact that God is the creator and we are his creation. And so part of Jesus's example of prayer has to do with our attitude and posture towards God. And we really have to wrestle with the fact that God is both our loving father and the holy creator of the entire world. So we need to really wrestle with that when we pray. Then the last line of this first section is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that this section is usually the most difficult for us to accept and get right because we all think that we know best, right? There's a temptation when we pray to just ask God for what we want, right? So God, let me get into the the school, right? God, make the, the girl or boy who I like like me back. God, make Aaron Rodgers be hurt for the season, right? Not in a way that's going to ruin his life, but just so the Packers don't win the Super Bowl this year, right? And, and guys, this next part, this is really important. So if, you, if you're tuned out, this is the point, tune back in just for this, or if you're following along, don't, don't get this part confused. Praying for yourself is not wrong. Okay, I've prayed for myself to do well on a test before. I've, I've prayed for guidance about a girl who I ended up marrying, Going to God with our desires is a good thing. And that's what the whole second half of the Lord's Prayer is about. It's about praying for our our desires, our needs. But before we do that, we have to remind ourselves that our greatest desire is first and foremost for God's plans to happen. We, We strive to trust God so much that even when things don't happen how we want them to, right? so we, we don't get into the dream school. We don't make the team. We don't get the girl or the boy, right? When those things happen, We still trust God and want his plans over our own. And that's a a really good transition into the second uh, portion of the Lord's Prayer, which shifts towards praying for ourselves. So, so far, uh, the structure Jesus gives us is first and foremost to acknowledge who God is, to praise him for his holiness, and to align our desires with his. Only then does Jesus move into praying for our own needs. And Jesus begins that that, uh, section by praying, give us this day our daily bread. Now, in Jesus' day, there were a lot of poor people, okay? And they lived paycheck to paycheck, all right? It was impossible for them to save any money. So if if you couldn't work on a particular day for any reason at all, there was a good chance you weren't going to eat that day, right? So those people were very dependent on God to provide for them basic needs of life. 
In our day, uh, in our culture, we've received so much that it makes it, that, that concept is really hard for us to understand. Most of us don't ever have to wonder where our next meal is going to come from or if we can afford a particular meal on any particular day, right? But bread, right, give us this day our daily bread, bread symbolizes more than just food, okay? It represents all of our needs and how we're dependent on God uh, for everything that we have in life. So maybe uh, most of us don't pray uh, to God about our food, but what about things like anxiety and stress and fear and depression, right? These are all things that we rely on God daily to give us strength to overcome, and, and God is inviting all of us to make these needs known to him. And when we do that, we can trust and be confident that he's going to give us what we need. Whether that's physical, spiritual, or emotional. And then in this, uh, the next line, Jesus says, Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And it's, it's kind of a twofold line here, right? We ask God to forgive us in the same way that we forgive others. So when we sin, we go against God and we incur a type of spiritual debt, right? We owe something to God. So think about how when you go to college, you buy a car, right? You have to usually take out a loan from the bank and you're indebted to the bank until you pay that money back, right? In a similar way, we're in debt to God because we have gone against him. Now, for Christians, we have the hope, faith, and joy that our debt has been paid in full by Jesus. That's the good news of of the gospel, right? That's why we're here. That's why we worship God. And even though our debt has been paid, we're still told here to go and repent when we sin, to go and ask God for forgiveness when we mess up. And, And that's what this whole section is referring to, right? As our loving father, God is eager to forgive us when we screw up, right? He wants us to go to him. But there's a condition that Jesus adds, and that is that we have to forgive others. Because if we can't forgive others in our lives, how are we going to expect God to forgive us? Now, in uh, Matthew 18, Jesus tells a story about uh, a man who owes a king a million dollars. And uh, the king goes up to this man. He's like, hey, man, like, where's my money? I, I need my million dollars. And the guy says, you know, please like, have mercy with me. He begs with the king. He's like, be patient. I'll get you your money. Just give me more time. And the king was moved uh, and actually forgave the guy. He said, you know what? It's fine. All's forgiven. You don't have to give me the million dollars. Just, you know, go from here. It's fine. Uh, All's forgiven. And immediately after, the the man leaves the king, and he goes and finds one of his friends who owes him $50. And he goes up to his friend, and he's like, hey, man, like, I need my money. Like, where's my my money? I need my $50. And his friend's like, please, like, be patient with me. I'll get you your money. I just need more time. But the man doesn't respond how the king did with him. Instead, he throws his friend in jail until his friend can pay him the $50 back. Now, the king finds out what this man did uh, and how he didn't respond with forgiveness. And so he goes and finds this man. He removes, he takes away the forgiveness that he offered him. He has him thrown in jail until he can pay him the million dollars back uh, to the king. So Jesus tells this story because God has forgiven all of us of so much, right? If we're not humbled by that and we can't go and forgive others in our lives, then do we really understand the gospel, right? Do we really understand the weight of what Jesus has done for us? And that's why we pray about it. We, we show gratitude to God for his mercy and pray to be able to, to show that same mercy to others. And then uh, the final line of the Lord's prayer, Jesus says is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Now, evil is a, a very real thing, guys, right? When, when we ask God to protect us from evil, we're asking him to lead us into situations where we're not going to be tempted to sin. So lust is a sin, right? So we pray to God, you know, God, give us strength. Give us wisdom to not put ourselves in situations where we're going to lust after our boyfriend or girlfriend or someone on a screen, right? Laziness is a sin, right? So God, give me or transform my heart so that instead of scrolling TikTok for seven hours, I prioritize my time better. We ask God to guide us and give us strength so that we don't stumble when we're tempted. And similarly to how we rely on God for our physical needs, right? Give us this day our daily bread, our physical needs. This shows us that we also rely on God for our spiritual needs as well. So uh, I want to recap all that because that's that's a lot of ground that we just covered. uh, And so I want to summarize. There is a wrong way to pray. But Jesus shows us the right way. And the right way includes acknowledging our relationship with God, reminding ourselves that God is holy, and desiring his will to be done. It also includes going to God with our needs, asking for forgiveness, and seeking protection from evil. Now, uh, I, I opened uh, you know, our, our time with a, an example uh, of when I prayed with the wrong intentions. And again, I was a kid, and so there's some grace there, but it's still an example of the wrong approach. I want to close uh, with a time where I think, or, or at least I hope, uh, I prayed with the right, the right motives in following Jesus' example. So uh, two summers ago, uh, this was about two months before Abby and I got married, we were living in Indiana, and uh, we weren't sure where we were going to live after we got married. All right, I was supposed to, the, the plan was hopefully to come out here, come to Deerfield, move back to Trinity, and work here at Christ Church, uh, but that wasn't really on the table anymore because of COVID. So I had no job lined up. Abby had no jobs lined up, we had no money, and we weren't sure what we were going to do. We were really scared. And honestly, we were leaning towards staying in Indiana because Abby had a job, and we had family out there, and it's cheaper to live out there. It just seemed to make more sense. But I started to pray uh, and just ask God, like, God, where do you want us? Where do you want us to go? Um, What's your will in all this? And a couple weeks later, uh, I can't really explain it, but I woke up with an overwhelming sense of peace and, and even confidence that God was calling us to take the leap of faith and just, just move here, to come, uh, come, to Trinity, come back to Trinity uh, and move back to Deerfield. Uh, so we didn't have any security in place. We still didn't have jobs lined up, uh, but we took that leap of faith and we signed a lease to an apartment that we could not afford. That's not great business advice, uh, but that's what we did. Uh, and sure enough, a couple weeks passed, and Abby started lining up jobs. Like, not just one job, but she had multiple opportunities that she got to pick where she wanted to work from. Uh, and that wasn't enough, though. I mean, that was great, but, like, I still needed an income. I still needed to work at Christ Church in order to be able to afford uh, this, this apartment to live out here. And two days before we're supposed to move into this apartment, this is the night before my wedding, at my rehearsal dinner, I'm si- I sit down to eat my food, and Luke comes up to me and is like, hey, man, you need to go call Siler. And I'm like, call Siler? Like, what are you talking about? This is my wedding. Like, I'm, I'm about to eat my, this is my fried chicken. Like, I'm, I'm going to eat this. I'm not going to go call Siler. And he's like, no, man, like, seriously, you should go call Siler. I'm like, all right, man. I'm like, all right. So I left my party. I called Siler, and he's like, hey, uh, really good news. Uh, we're going to be able to offer you a position. Uh, we'd love to have you on board at Christ Church. And we saw how God provided again. Now, the reason I share this story is not to tell you that, that everything you do and everything you pray will ultimately work out. 
But I do hope that it gives you confidence to trust in God's plans because he will ultimately provide for you and give you what you need. Right? When we're living how God wants us to, that's when we're at our best. Right? By, by trusting in God's plans, Abby and I get to be here at Shig. Like, we wouldn't be here if we trusted our intuitions over God. But we're here, and Abby gets to be with her sophomore girls. I get to lead my junior guys and be an SMT leader and go, go on retreats, right? Not only that, uh, but the whole season strengthened my relationship with God because I saw examples, tangible examples of God meeting my needs. And, and I grew closer to him because I was constantly sharing my thoughts and my fears with him. So I know that all this, this is a lot to take in. Prayer can seem overwhelming. Uh, but the best way for us to learn and to get better is to actually do it, right? To practice what Jesus teaches us. And so I want to make sure that I give us time to uh, be together in small groups and ask questions. But, but my challenge for each of you uh, is to take that next step in your prayer life. Uh, invite God in your life and grow in your relationship with him through prayer. So let's pray.